Welcome to Wednesdays with Winnie, the podcast that covers, well, quite a lot. From fallacies and grad parties to Aquinas, Aristotle, friendships, and even Subway cookies. My hope for you is that you can sit back, relax, learn a little, laugh a little, or a lot, and come away with a lot more knowledge. Without farther ado, let's get into the episode. And welcome back to this week's episode of Wednesdays with Winnie. This week we're going to be talking about Aristotle and his book Rhetoric and kind of different ways to persuade people, a little history of what rhetoric is and what it's used for and why it's useful. And that is what this episode will be about. You guys voted for it. I asked my Instagram follow or all the podcast followers on Instagram what they wanted to hear from, and the choice was either business basics or this. And the vote was this. It was tied for a little while, but it turned out to be this, which I'm pretty excited about. I will do the business basics episode another week, though, because I know that that's something a lot of you guys want to hear about, too. But before we get into the episode, a little uh, housekeeping. So the podcast is finally, finally, finally on Apple, which I am very, very excited about because it's been nearly actually it has been over a month since the start of the podcast and it took over a month to get on Apple and part of that I'll be honest part of that was my fault because I didn't realize that I had to set the Apple settings to update the podcast so the RSS feed that connects the podcast to Apple and Spotify would update weekly and I didn't do that but the other part was Apple telling me that the podcast wasn't formatted correctly to be an Apple podcast and it turned out it was it was just missing that weekly update thing so finally on Apple yay very excited about that and this week has just been honestly a really great week I'm very very happy but I've been really busy so now that we got all of that upkeep out of the way, let's get into the episode. So Aristotle, for those of you that don't know, was a philosopher and he, he lived between 384 and 322 BC and he's often thought of as one of the founders of the modern, not modern, but the full way of philosophical thinking and coming to conclusions and he his students were some of the best philosophers that came to even more conclusions and started entire schools of thought like Socrates and who compiled a lot of Aristotle's writings but he was a very very brilliant man for his time and today we are going to be kind of diving into that and talking about rhetoric so all so all of the stuff that I didn't get to talk about today is in his book which is titled, <laughs> very applicably, Rhetoric. So that book I would really recommend if you would like to get a more in-depth idea and understanding of Aristotle than what I'm going to talk about today because obviously I can't fit an entire book into this podcast, but I am going to do my best to explain the basics. So the difference between dialectic, and I know it sounds like it should be dialect, but it is not. It is dialectic is dialectic is arriving at a conclusion through logical dialogue, while rhetoric is the act 
an art of persuading people. So dialogue is something we do very naturally in conversation. We argue, or not argue, we talk to people, we form kind of opinions, and with those people in that talking, we kind of come to conclusions or already have conclusions that we try and get them to see or that they try and get us to see, or both people are trying to form a conclusion. They don't have a set conclusion already, but they're trying to come to one, and that is generally what dialectic is used in. So we are using dialectic without even knowing it most of the time. And while rhetoric is the art, and Aristotle terms an art, and I thought that this was really interesting when I was first started studying this, but he calls it an art instead of something that comes naturally like he uses to describe dialogue. And an art implies, and Aristotle states, that it is an art because it can be learned. So you can learn rhetoric. You can learn modes of persuasion. And it's not always something that comes naturally. There are ways and methods to achieve persuasion. And that is what makes it an art as opposed to just something that we are born with inherently. And that's been actually a really good thing for me because I'm not very good at arguing like naturally. I wasn't at least before I started to work on it a little bit more. But if you are not a good arguer or you feel like you are always get flustered and can never kind of persuade people or get your point across, then Aristotle is for you <laughs> because I was definitely one of those people. But let's get into the four principles of rhetoric. So the first principle Aristotle states is truth and justice are naturally superior and in most cases, ca uh, cases should win. So this just basically means that when we are using rhetoric to persuade people to truth and justice, oftentimes it will win. And there are uh, obviously caveats to that, but that is one of the things Aristotle believes. And two, persuasion is more easily achieved through rhetoric. So the use of rhetoric more easily brings people to the belief in something or someone as opposed to dialectic. I always want to say it wrong. Dialectic. And number three, one must always be aware of contradictory points and counterpoints so as to address them in an argument. So knowing what your opponent will argue and kind of forming that before you argue is what Aristotle is advocating for in this principle, which I think is very, very applicable to anyone. We can't only state our argument, we also have to be aware of what the other side is saying so that we can argue against it. Because if we are like, have all of these facts and statistics that support our argument, but when someone brings up something different, we have absolutely nothing or no knowledge of that thing, we can't really defend it. And so our argument is great, but it's even better if we can defend it through knowledge of other arguments. And number four, rhetoric can cause harm, but even more so can cause immense benefit. And I actually really like that Aristotle added this in because it's not something we generally think about when thinking about persuasion, but rhetoric can cause harm. If someone is a very eloquent and good public speaker and they are persuading people to do things that are not right, not morally right, then of course, it will lead to harm. I mean, think about some of the greatest orators in history, Adolf Hitler. He was a, an amazing orator. There's no denying that. Otherwise, the entire nation of Germany wouldn't have turned against 
Jews and caused and put literally put their neighbors in concentration camps. There, Adolf Hitler had to advocate that and he advocated it and argued it very, very well. And a lot of military leaders throughout history have had this skill and that is part of what made them so powerful. So rhetoric can be used for bad, but it also has the potential for great good. Like think of Martin Luther King Jr. His rhetoric persuaded people that may not have otherwise been persuaded that black African-American people living in America did deserve the same rights as white Americans. So I think that it's important to understand the negative and the positive of rhetoric. And I'm very glad that Aristotle mentions that. So next kind of thing we're going to talk about is the three forms of, or three branches of rhetoric that Aristotle talks about. So the first is the three are political, ceremonial, and forensic oratory. So the first political, Aristotle actually calls this one the most noble form of oratory, which may surprise us today because I feel like a lot of people do not see politicians as noble. I I know I certainly don't, but I think that that's because uh, we've really lost the art of what political oratory and discourse is supposed to be, which Aristotle thinks that it is supposed to be a bringing together of ideas that will most benefit the society. And that's why he thinks it's the most noble because it is concerned with the benefit of the people. It is concerned with the benefit of the society as opposed to forensic and ceremonial oratory. So forensic oratory is oratory like judicial oratory, what you would think of in a court case. And it mostly deals with the past, like past events showing information that would lead people to either convict or not convict. So charge someone guilty or not. And Aristotle doesn't think that this one is as noble as political oratory, but it is still very necessary to be able to defend someone who is either not guilty or to condemn someone who is guilty. And the third is ceremonial. So ceremonial is like giving a speech or like a eulogy, like maybe accepting a reward an award or something, you would use ceremonial rhetoric and it relies heavily on like feelings, emotions. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the best way that I can think to describe it. But that kind of, these three branches of rhetoric kind of go into ethos, pathos, and logos. So for those of you that don't know, ethos is an appeal to credibility, pathos is an appeal to emotions, and logos is an appeal to logic. And all of these three, uh, I don't want to call them branches, all of these three modes of persuasion all go into political, ceremonial, and forensic, but some have more emphasis in certain branches than others. Like for example, ethos, the appeal to credibility, and logos are usually, at least they should be, more prevalent in political oratory, and logos should definitely be very prevalent in forensic oratory. I know we don't see a lot of that in political oratory today. Most of it, at least a good percentage of it, is more emotional, which I think is probably why it's seen as a less noble art than it used to be. But uh, the ethos usually like relies on 
anecdotes and stories that kind of illustrate your credibility. So for example, if you are speaking as a politician, you would maybe want to share an anecdote or story to show that you were credible. Like maybe describe a time that you led a group of people to do something beneficial for the community or something, or led a group in volunteering. And that, that kind of shows that you have authority and you can make people work and can, you can kind of help people work together. And um, something that inspires emotion, so pathos, would be like maybe telling the story of an orphan in Africa or something. If you have a program that is trying to raise money for orphans in Africa, maybe showing a picture and explaining someone's life, that is that would be a very strong appeal to pathos and emotions. And that that's also another good way to persuade. So the modes of persuasion are very situationally dependent on what you are trying to persuade people to do. Like I know for sure in a court case, if I was sitting as in the jury or on jury duty and I saw the speaker and he was like, this man is so sad he's in prison. He can't believe that he's, he's been forced to be here. I, I honestly wouldn't be worrying about his sadness. I would much more like an explanation of why he shouldn't be there. So it's important to understand context in dealing with all of these. So I have these all written down. <laughs> I didn't use, sometimes I type them up in my notes. Sometimes I write them. I don't know. I'm just weird. I like the writing. I'm going to take a sip of water before we get into the next thing. Mm. My mouth really hurts today. I had an orthodontist appointment and my tongue is like rubbing on one of the brackets they put in my mouth and it is very uncomfortable. Okay, so the next part is syllogisms and enthymemes, which are very, very confusing even to me who knows what they are. The two still seem to confuse me, but I'm going to start by defining each of them. So a syllogism, a syllogism is a form of deductive reasoning based on premises. So for example, all ants are insects. All insects have six legs. Therefore, all ants have six legs. So because all ants are insects and all insects have six legs, it is reasonable to assume or come to the conclusion that ants have six legs because they're insects. And so it is the use of building on premises, premises, I'm going to mess up my words so much during this episode, but the use of premises to come to a conclusion and it's something that we all do very, very naturally, I think. And an enthymeme is a little more advanced. It is a form of a syllogism, but here's an example of an enthymeme. So bearded dragons are reptiles because they are lizards. And an enthymeme, an enthymeme leaves out one premise, usually. There's an unstated premise within the enthymeme. So the unstated premise in this argument is or this reasoning is all lizards are reptiles. That's never mentioned, but here I'll read it again. Bearded dragons are reptiles because they are lizards. When thinking about that, our brains usually automatically go to the unstated premise or come to that conclusion. And the reason an enthymeme 
according to Aristotle, is such an important part of an argument is because it allows people to think it without the speaker having to tell it to them. And the benefit of this is that people will think that they have thought of it in their own mind because they kind of have, but the speaker has only supplied the premises to lead them very deliberately, indirectly in most cases, to that conclusion. And enthymemes are hard for me. I can't think of them on the fly usually. <laughs> if I'm like writing a paper or doing research, I, I try to incorporate them into my my writing, but it's not like something I just pull up on the spot. So I think that I'm trying to practice at that, but it's still a challenge. Another important thing with enthymemes and syllogisms, though, is that they're really easy to get wrong. And Aristotle addresses this in his book. But it's pretty easy to have these premises and have if one if just one of the premises is off, it can derail the conclusion. And having a conclusion that is correct, but a premise that is incorrect, uh, that's okay. The, co the conclusion is still valid if it is a valid... Oh, this is going to get confusing. But if it is a valid statement and it can be proven otherwise without the use of the premises, one premise being invalid doesn't mean a conclusion is invalid. But I kind of wrote down an example because I know that for me... Examples are really helpful in learning about this. So here's an, an example of a syllogism and an enthymeme used incorrectly. So try and pick out while I'm reading this what you think is wrong about the premise. So for example, I'm going to use a popular argument and I know this is probably controversial, but we do that on this podcast. So how could it be right to restrict abortion premise here's like a popular argument any restriction on a woman's right to control her own body is wrong so there's a couple premises being made in this reasoning and logic let's pick them out so a lot of times what you have to do with another argument is to kind of restate the premises so i restated it as this it is wrong to restrict abortion that's what the question, how could it be right to restrict abortion, is basically saying it is wrong to restrict it. And restricting a woman's right to control her own body is wrong is what the second part of the premise is saying. So putting it all together, restricting abortion is restricting a woman's right to control her our own body. Therefore, and this is where the syllogism comes in, therefore, restricting abortion is wrong. So the result, the end result, restricting abortion is wrong, is based on restricting abortion is restricting a woman's right to control her own body, which is wrong. So these premises are what is building the logical conclusion to this argument. So let's go to premise one. Restricting abortion is restricting a woman's right to control her own body. First off, abortion and restricting a woman's right to control her own body isn't necessarily applicable in this because a fetus is not a woman's own. It's not a part of her body. It is a unique human being with a different type of DNA than her, with different fingerprints, with a different sex, and it is a unique being, but it is inside of the woman. So it's not her, but it is a part, it is inside of her. So the first premise is wrong because 
in abortion in abortion, a woman is not controlling only her own body, but she's controlling a separate person within her body. And this kind of gets into like the when when does life start debate. I'm not going to go there today. <laughs> we could be be there for for hours. But um, the second premise, so w- restricting a woman's or hang on, restricting a woman's right to control her own body is also wrong. But I think that this premise is a little bit unvalid because people wouldn't hesitate to restrict a woman's right to control her own body if she was trying to commit suicide. Plenty of people would not, hopefully, would not allow her to do that. And so kind of understanding how syllogisms work and how to identify incorrect premises can help you when looking at other people's arguments to see whether the syllogism implied it rests on unsound premises and that's why it's also important to know for your own arguments because just as easily as that argument could be picked apart if you do not form an argument correctly it it can also be picked apart that's this is very confusing it's hard confusing me it confuses me at times but i hope that this is making somewhat sense i'm gonna drink more water because I'm talking a lot and I'm really thirsty. Okay. So. Yeah, that's basically saying examine arguments carefully, both your own and other people's. Number And the last thing I'm kind of going to leave you guys with, I don't want to make this episode too, too long. But it is a quote from Aristotle. So. It is clear then that rhetorical study in its strict sense is concerned with the modes of persuasion and the benefit of humans. So rhetoric is a very important and useful thing and it's useful for a couple of reasons. And I actually have Aristotle's book pulled up on my computer. So I'm just gonna read directly from the book. Rhetoric is useful, one, because things that are true and things that are have a natural tendency to prevail over their opposites, so that if the decisions of judges are not what they ought to be, the defeat must be due to the speakers themselves, and they must be blamed accordingly. So that kind of goes back to the first, I forget what we called it, but the sense of truth prevailing, and Aristotle thinks that rhetoric is useful because it has the potential to make a true and good argument even more appealing than it could be. So the second reason that rhetoric is useful is, moreover, before some audiences, not even the possession of the exactest knowledge will make it easy for what we say to produce conviction. For argument based on knowledge implies instruction, and there are people whom one cannot instruct. Here then we must use, as our modes of persuasion and argument, notions possessed by everyone. And this gets in to another topic, which is maxims, or like common sayings or common understandings, which is another thing Aristotle talks about in use in like persuading. I'm not going to get into that today, but it it all kind of links together and it's a much more beautiful full picture if you read the book but I am gonna do my best to explain it here too number three we must be able to employ persuasion just as strict reasoning can be employed on opposite sides of a question 
not in order that we may in practice employ it both ways, for we must not make people believe what is wrong, but in order that we may see clearly what the facts are, and that if another man argues unfairly, we on our part may be able to confute him. No other of the arts draws the opposite conclusions. Dialect and rhetoric alone do this. Both these arts draw opposite conclusions impartially. So, this goes back to addressing and understanding both sides. Rhetoric is a very unique art in that it tries to understand the other side to the best of its ability, which is something I think we as a culture are lacking and start. we continue to decrease in trying to understand the other side and what they have to say, which is why another reason I love this book so much and I think that it's a very useful thing to understand. So the fourth part is, It is absurd to hold a man ought to be ashamed of being unable to defend himself with his limbs, but not of being unable to defend himself with speech and reason, when the use of rational speech is more distinctive of a human being than the use of his limbs. So rhetoric is important and useful to us because, in essence, when we use rhetoric, we are defending our own ideas and beliefs. And to be able to not defend these ideas and beliefs is almost like not being able to defend yourself in a situation or being not like being prepared if you're going camping like you're going on a camping trip and you don't bring a tent you don't bring bug spray you just go up and sleep on the mountain that's not a very prepared way to go about camping and the same is true for our views and thoughts not preparing ourselves and equipping up ourselves to be able to argue our beliefs and thoughts is not going to be useful to us. Yeah, (laughs) that was a very, a very not good ending to that thought, but I think you, I hope you guys get what I'm trying to say on that one. So that kind of concludes the rhetoric talk and topic. I hope that this was instructional. I hope that this was useful and I hope that it was not confusing because I know I was confusing myself at parts. But I'm going to leave you guys with the Bible verse. Honor the Messiah, oh, Peter 3:15. Honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope in your hearts. And I thought that this was a very applicable Bible verse to today's episode because rhetoric does apply to being a Christian and being able to talk to other people and defend why we believe what we believe as Christians. And yes, that concludes this week's episode, and I will see you all next Wednesday. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wednesdays with Winnie. I would really appreciate it if you could leave a review on whatever platform you listen to the podcast on just to let me know how I'm doing. Anyways, God bless and see you next Wednesday.